At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's... a walrus? Whatever it is, I wouldn't get too close. Thank you. And enjoy the show. <coughs> Do it. I'm sorry. I was dying. I'm sorry. I did my crisis. <laughs> did my near-death experience inconvenience you? Welcome to the Cryptid Keeper podcast, the podcast for cryptids and their keepers. That's us. And if you're listening, it means you too. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Flanagan. And I'm the other host, Addison Peacock. <laughs> All right. So this week, I believe, belongs to Addison. So it sure does. what are you going to learn us about today? Oh, well. I'm here to teach ya. I don't know why I went Midwest. We're not there today. Um, ooh, ooh, last episode, you did a you did an accent, an offensive accent. I'm going to do an offensive accent today. So, follow me to the epic. We're going to talk about the bunyip. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, wait, I have to turn it off. Sorry, I have to stop this. Um, so, so, <laughs> I'm talking about an Australian cryptid today. And I was actually mentioning this to you earlier, Alex, that one of my favorite things about Australian cryptids is that as I start to research them, the more you read about Australian cryptids, the more you realize that the people of Australia, like when they're asked about, what do you think about the bunyip? Or what do you think about this other thing? They're like, so fucking weird out here. Might as well. They're like, look, man, we've got snails that if you step on them, they kill you. We've got tiny octopus that if you pick it up, will bite you and you die in like 30 seconds. We've got spiders the size of your face. This seems right. So, like, all things considered, the cryptids are probably, like, the least scary. They're one of the less scary things, I feel like, about living in Australia. I don't distrust Australians, but I wonder why anyone would willingly live in a place where everything wants you dead. I do have to wonder. I'm saying it's the year of our Lord 2017. I don't, there's no reason to remain in a place where spiders are the size of, are the size of your face. And uh, a friend of mine was explaining to me, and I don't think she was making fun of me. An Australian friend of mine was explaining to me how they just, you know, like when you get up in the morning, you just make sure there's no spiders in your shoes. Just make sure. Yeah, that seems like a reasonable course of action. Is it possible that the reason may be that they stay on the island of Australia is because leaving is worse? Is there, like, some ring of monsters thing, like, surrounding the... Like, they have to cross the swamp of the bunyip. The bunyip. <laughs> the swamp of the bunyip. That's not a knife. This is a knife. I say you've played knifey spoony before. I love that joke. I hate this. I need to stop. Oh, if we had any Australian listeners, they're done with us. They've quit. They've rage quit. Just kidding. I think Aussies have a good sense of humor. Okay, so. <laughs> that just means we hope Aussies have a good sense of humor. But that I mean. I hope Aussies have a good sense of humor. Oh my, put some shrimp on the bobby. <laughs> Please do not on my profile thing. <laughs> okay, I'm so sorry. To the cryptid. So what I'm talking about today is the bunyip, if you haven't gathered that. I love the bunyip's name. I think it sounds like uh, some kind of onion. I think it sounds like a root vegetable, like a turnip, like meets an onion. It's a bunyip, an onion. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> the bunyip is a creature that originated in the folklore of aboriginal australians so people native to the area and then sort of grew into this cultural phenomenon of modern australia starting back in the 1800s which is when initial sightings started coming in i really wish you guys could see the things that addison is doing with her hands right now it's my thinking hand. i am the thinking man and these are my thinking hands um basically it's also known as Ooh, oh no, we're going to give this a shot. It's also known as the uh, 
Kian Prati, and it's a creature of Aboriginal mythology. It lives in swamps, billabongs, you know, like the surfing goods store. No, um, that's immediately what I thought of. (laughs) It lives in swamps, billabongs, creeks, riverbeds, and waterholes. It's basically just an all-over standing water kind of cryptid. It looks like it doesn't live in so much... The one we had before is like... When I talked about kappas, our other water cryptid, that's like rivers, like moving water. For the most part, the bunyip sticks to standing water. Like anywhere you might find mosquitoes, you would find a bunyip. And in mosquitoes, I imagine in Australia, are about the size of my fist. So it's just like a thing where, like I know here in Virginia, we have this problem that I hate, where like if you leave a kitty swimming pool out in the yard or something, or like a bucket, like you're just going to end up with so many mosquitoes. Is this like an Australian thing where like, oh, you forgot to try in the kitty pool, looks like a bunyip out there now. <laughs> like you just wake up in the morning and there's just like a bunyip just like chilling in your backyard. <laughs> Oh, once I describe what they look like, you're not going to like the oh, idea no. of that. <laughs> okay. Um, actually, uh, Bunyip in the language uh, it originates from, the Aboriginal language, uh, Wemba Wemba, the language it means devil or evil spirit. So they're regarded as being a malicious creature. It has a lot of different descriptions. This is something like me in middle school into high school. The Bunyip seems to change its look quite a lot. It doesn't really know what its aesthetic is. Or people are seeing a lot of different things in Standing Water and saying it's all one thing. I don't really know, but here's some of the different descriptions of the bunyip. It has been described as having a dog-like face, dark fur, a horse-like tail. Some people say it has flippers and walrus-like tusks and a duck-like bill. Other people say it has an appearance similar to a snake meets a man with a beard. Some people say it's actually a prehistoric marsupial, uh, which is called Diprotodon australis, that managed to escape extinction. So... I'm losing my mind. Okay, so you know what I'm thinking of. Okay. Um, and this is like such a niche reference. Oh, God. Did you? <laughs> I know, you're just like terrified. <laughs> Are you going to ever talk- go to like a, a like, I don't know, like a McDonald's, like a Burger King, like some sort of like playland. I would think of specifically a McDonald's, like the playland. And they had the one wall with all like the panels on it that like spun around. You would like mix and match the bodies. Like, like Ronald McDonald's head with, like, the Hamburglar's feet, and then, like, I, I didn't, Grimace, is that the other guy? Like, his torso, like, just horrifying, yeah. like, manticores so, of consumerism. Thing. And I'm thinking, like, maybe that's the Bunyip's deal. He's a randomized sim. <laughs> it's a mix-and-match randomized cryptid. Even every time oh. it generates, like, it spontaneously appears as something totally different. Oh, no. So the origin of talking about the Bunyip comes from Aboriginal bedtime stories, you know, like you do. I was about to critique the darkness of these bedtime stories, and then I remembered the original Cinderella, and I, like, Europeans can't say shit. Um, then you remembered Taily Poe. Oh, my God. We'll get, we'll come back to that. Oh, sweet. I'm right. We'll come back to that. Um, Literally one of my favorite sentences you can ever say to me is, don't worry, we'll talk about the Taily Poe. Oh, don't worry, we'll talk about the Taily Poe. Uh, so one legend, some of the, here's some of the Aboriginal bedtime stories. They were uh, meant to scare children away from going close to the water's edge which is reasonable you don't want your little child to fall into this swamp and like get eaten by an alligator or something according to legend it says that a man named bunyip broke the rainbow serpent's greatest law by eating his totem animal uh, banished by the good spirit uh, this man became an evil spirit that lured tribesmen and their livestock into the water so he could eat all of them the bunyip is also said to prey on women and children during the night because of course he does because of course it does. Because they can't catch a fucking break. So what you're telling me is that if Moana had occurred in Straya instead, it would have been a very different ending. Yes, <laughs> Don't go into the water, Moana, but I wanna. <laughs> How far I'll go down the throat of a bunyip. Um, uh, so here's some, uh, here's some early sightings. So one of the first recorded accounts of the bunyip took place in 1818. 
when James Meehan, an explorer Hamilton Hume, found, I'm sorry, found enormous bones in Lake Bathurst located in South Wales, of New South Wales, not Old South Wales, of Australia. They described a creature similar to a manatee or a hippopotamus. Perhaps it was, in fact. But with a snake tail and a bearded man face, and also part of it was a lobster and, and a dog face and a duck bill and tusks. In the mid-1830s, George Rankin discovered fossilized bones in the Wellington Caves located in New South Wales, later to be followed by explorer Thomas Mitchell. British anatomist Sir Richard Owen described the bones to be remains of the prehistoric marsupial that I mentioned earlier. So, so far it's not sounding like any of these people have encountered the same creature. But in uh, July of 1845, the Geelong Advertiser described the bunyip in great detail, and it was the first recorded use of the term bunyip. And I will read this for you right now, and I will try my best not to slip into a terrible offensive accent. The bunyip, then, is represented as uniting the characteristics of a bird and of an alligator. It has a head resembling an emu with a long bill at the extremity of which is a transverse projection on each side, with serrated edges like the bone of a stingray. Its body and legs partake of the nature of the alligator. The hind legs are remarkably thick and strong, and the forelegs are much longer, but still of great strength. The extremities are furnished with long claws. Oh no! <laughs> I don't want to read this part. It gets racist. Oh, yikes. It says, But the aborigines say its usual method of killing its prey is by hugging it to death. When in the water, it swims like a frog, and when on shore, it walks on its hind legs. <laughs> and when on the shore, it walks on its hind legs with its head erect, in which position it measures 12 or 13 feet in height. This isn't anything! This is nothing! This is... Somebody was playing cryptid Mad Libs, and they were just like, all right, here, I need the name of an animal. I need the name of a different animal. All right, now give me uh, a kind of legs. All right, now give me some sort of animal with tusks. Okay, great. Now let's just fill in... Right... Uh, shoot. Uh, what's like a way... Like a creepy way something can... Okay, yeah, great. It'll slither. Like, it, it's horrible. This is horrible. It's nothing. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to start laughing, but it's 13 feet tall. Oh my god. But it swims like a frog, and it has tusks, and also maybe it's a manatee, but it's part marsupial? Like, I'm very confused. Oh my god. Uh, okay, it keeps going. The rabbit hole goes deep. In 1847, a strange skull was found in the Murrumbidgee River near Byronide in South and I wasn't even trying to do an accent. That's literally how it's spelled, I think. No, it's not. I'm a liar. Those aren't I's. Those are L's. Balrenald. All right. In New, in New South Wales. What is happening to me? It was later put on exhibition at the Australian Museum in Sydney. The skull was later proven to only be the cranium of a disfigured horse or calf. Oh, man. <laughs> Some candidates from known species. Oh, no. I'm going to go into this a little bit later. Just kidding. Uh, so, basically... <laughs> This, uh, the Cryptid Wiki article ends by saying, it is hard to tell what the bunyip looks like because of its claims of variations, and, but all sightings agree that it is definitely an aquatic animal. Well, thank goodness we've nailed one thing down. Honestly, I know. This is um, horrible. I love the bunyip. How dare you? You leave him alone. I don't know which bunyip I'm supposed to love. <laughs> they are legion. <laughs> they are many. So then, like, is the bunyip, like... 
is it all one creature that shapeshifts? Is it a race of creatures that all just like when they're born, you're like, well, we don't know what we're going to get. Oh, look at this one. It's like a horse monkey. Oh, wow. Now we've got a turtle shark. Like what is, or, or, or is bunyip just like an umbrella term that these people have developed for any sort of creature they can't otherwise explain? That's where you've got it. I was going to say, I want to go into the origin of the term bunyip, like a little, or not the origin, but rather the way that the word is used now. Because the origin of the word is, as I described, it's an Aboriginal Australian uh, word translated to mean devil or evil spirit coming from that folklore. But this translation doesn't accurately represent the role of the bunyip in the current, or in either the previous mythology or the current sort of situation. Um, modern sources allude to a linguistic connection between the Bunyip and the Bunjil, which is a mythic great man who made the mountains and rivers and man and all the animals. So the word Bunyip doesn't even, didn't even originate in the original mythology. It like got kind of warped from a different word and then turned into this other thing that translates into evil spirit. So already it's a little bit dubious and a little bit strange. But But the thing is that now Bunyip is actually like after the 1850s, I don't know if it's so much anymore. I don't know a lot of modern Australians, but bunyip kind of turned into a slang phrase or not really like a phrase that a word that meant an imposter, a pretender, a humbug and the like. And in in the broader Australian community. So bunyip is already a kind of a catch-all term. The term bunyip aristocracy was coined in 1853 to describe Australians aspiring to be aristocrats. So they were like fake rich. They're like it's like it's like a posers. Okay. Um, and then it was famously used by Prime Minister Paul Keating to describe members of the conservative Liberal Party of Australia opposition in the 1990s. So the word bunyip now like has, it's kind of this weird catch-all word that has no real meaning. So I think that when you talk about all these sightings of bunyips, it is people being like, just being like, that's a weird thing. It's a bunyip. So perhaps then the bunyip itself is not a cryptid as much as bunyip is sort of a catch-all term for any sort of cryptid that might appear in a... Yes, but it is still talked about as if the bunyip is one specific thing. Like, when you research it, that's the thing that's bizarre about it, is, like, I think that it's, like, as much as I want to believe it's a catch-all, like, I say that, but now I'm actually kind of thinking through the reading I did, it's less like they're using it as a catch-all and more like just all these different Australians are seeing different things and being like, no, what you saw is a different thing. I saw the bunyip. (laughs) Oh, okay. So it's sort of like... So we're not necessarily thinking that all of these things are the same creature. We're saying there is one true bunyip, <laughs> and whoever lays claim to it wins the cryptid contest. Exactly. Oh, wins the Crypt Olympics. Uh, well, I think it's more like Australia's next top cryptid. Oh my god. Oh, also the word bunyip can be found all over Australia in different contexts, including place names such as the Bunyip River and the town of Bunyip, Victoria, which is fun. Um... So those towns and and locations were named after the creature and not vice versa? I have no idea. (laughs) Which came first, the cryptid or the egg? Or the town? Or the river? Or the the concept of like an unknowable devil? Um, There's a few more weird descriptions of him, of of him, of it, them, of the bunyip. I've got a few more. I will never be able to stop with there's so many descriptions of it. I can't. George French Angus may have collected a description of a bunyip in his account of a water spirit from the Murundi people of the Murray River before 1847, stating that this creature was much dreaded by them. It inhabits the Murray, but they have some difficulty describing it. Its most usual form is said to be that 
of an enormous starfish. I'm done. But did you notice its most usual form? So these people, or like this origin of it kind of tends to theorize that it's a water spirit that takes on different shapes. Okay, so that then doesn't necessarily fall into the idea of a lot of different creatures that are like, this is pointing more again towards the idea that the bunyip is one entity or one type of entity that appears in many different forms. Here's the thing, it could be. All I'm, I'm not saying which thing is right. I'm saying these are different theories about it. I'm saying that potentially there is just one bunyip and it just keeps changing shape for some reason because it, I don't know why it would do that. Maybe it's like a, like a Bogart type thing. It's just like, bog. what creature would you be the most spooked by? Yeah. Anything you've described is horrifying. <laughs> Giant starfish? Giant starfish. Oh, Have you seen the mouths on those things? I dissected some starfish in AP Biology. Like, they're horrifying. They've got beaks. You know that, right? Yeah, I do. I do know they have beaks. Yeah. They have, like, cephalopod beaks. Like, um... Uh, yeah, like, you peel back little layers, and there's, like, all these little teeth, and there's, like, a beak inside. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I don't like that. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> That's what happens, uh, in, like, that's what the inside of my ribcage looks like. If you just open it up, there's a beak, there's a beak <laughs> surrounded by a ring of teeth. Yes. Great. Uh, I'm an eldritch abomination. Okay, um, there's also, this, <laughs> this is, like, such a weird mental image. You know, I'm just going to keep coming up with, like, bizarre ways to try to, like, uh, I guess, parse this in my brain. But, no, can I just give you this mental yes. image first? Go, lay it on me. Did you ever, when you were in, like middle school high school because that's like when this was all the rage right mm-hmm. there was like a whole slew of websites that were like these online doll makers right oh, yeah. and you'd like make your little doll and like mm-hmm. give her the outfit and like put together all little pieces and you would like drag and drop a head onto the door so i would like different arm poses like, I, I want what i want more than anything now is i want an online flash game where you build your own bunyip i want like to have little like horrifying like body parts over here that you just like drag and drop onto your little like sassily posing like bunyip torso and you just like, make but your which own torso so any of them like you can you can like swap them out okay there's like four in a row and you get to like pick which one you're building on then you screenshot it send it to your friends use it as your avatar on myspace um this is very interesting the chalicum bunyip an outline image of a bunyip carved by aborigines into the bank of fiery creek was first recorded by the australian newspaper in 1851 according to the report a bunyip had been speared after killing an aboriginal man antiquarian raynell johns claimed that until the mid-1850s, Aboriginal people made a habit of visiting the place annually and retracing the outline of the figure of the bunyip, which is about 11 paces long and 4 paces in extreme breadth. But of course, the outline image no longer exists. So so I have a couple thoughts about this, all right, lay on. as I'm sure you know, because right. I have a lot of thoughts about everything. So, so first of all, that shuts down the idea of there being only one bunyip, right? Yeah. Well, I didn't ever think there was only one. I just meant, like, they're a race of creatures that all can shapeshift, maybe. Okay. I mean, like, for some creatures, we do believe there is just one of them. True. Right. And like the bunyip might have been one of those. Right. Or Mothman. Um, but there is definitely not just one bunyip then. But then also, how do you look at an outline and say, that's a bunyip? Because it doesn't look like anything! <laughs> well, they knew it was a bunyip when they killed it. And then they retraced, like, chalk, like... You know an old murder mystery? Yes, I know. I have the noir image in my head of, like, an outline that looks sort of like, like, it's got these crab claws and there are tusks and they're like, I don't know, maybe it's Justin Long, like, underneath all of that and then... How dare you! I love Justin Long. Yeah, but not that movie, Alex. We don't talk about Tusk. I want Justin Long in a Bunyip movie now. 
This podcast is rapidly becoming just like me pitching movies that I want. I I want Justin Long to star in a Bunyip movie. Is it called Tusk (laughs) 2? No. It's called Two Tusks. (laughs) The Bunyip story. Tusk to Tusk, the Bunyip story. It's a Bunyip love story. (laughs) (laughs) We have to not pitch a movie every episode. This kills the man. I have more information for you. I have so much information on the Bunyip I want to impart. All right, lay lay it on me. All right, thank you. Gotta get that material for my movie. Oh my god, I have some theories about what it is. There's a lot of debate over the origin of the Bunyip story. Uh, One suggestion, and I really like this one because the concept of cultural memory is very fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. So there's a suggestion that the Bunyip is a cultural memory of the extinct Australian marsupials such as the Diprotodon, the Zygomatrius, or the Nautotherium, or any of those. Like, it's a cultural memory of this big, like, swamp-dwelling, aggressive marsupial. And I like that idea, uh, that, that was a connection made by Dr. George Bennett of the Australian Museum in 19, 19, in 1871. Um, but in the early 1990s, paleontologist Pat Vickers-Rich and geologist Neil Archibald also cautiously suggested that Aboriginal legends perhaps had stemmed from an acquaintance with prehistoric bones or even living prehistoric animals themselves. Uh, then when confronted with the remains of some of the now extinct Australian marsupials, Aborigines would often identify them as the Bunyip. So, there's also that. Maybe there was never a Bunyip to begin with. Totally. There's, there are, it's all, you know my stance on this by now. It's all real. But, maybe, this all came from, what? Excuse me. They also note that, oh no, that's a different thing. Just kidding. I was, it said something about a giant bird and I was like, it's not a bird too. You can't. <laughs> There's got to be some upper limit on how many things this yeah. thing can be. This is a good So one. like you're okay with it being like some sort of frog marsupial with tusks and like a horse head, but you draw the line at birds. No, no birds. Yeah. No birds. No birds. Um, another connection to the bunyip is my one of my favorite birds just because the name of it is so cute. The shy Australasian bittern. Uh, which during the breeding season, the male call of this marsh-dwelling bird is a low-pitched boom. Excuse me? (laughs) Which is similar to a sound that the bunyip is supposed to make, so actually it is occasionally nicknamed the bunyip bird. (laughs) (laughs) The mating call of the bunyip is just dubstep. (laughs) Hey, Susan, I think you look really nice today, and I just wanted to to tell you, boom! <laughs> that's actually interesting because that sounds a lot like a walrus noise have you seen that video there's like oh, walrus is, walri- walri- <laughs> walri- do you think i know walri 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 can make like 12 different sounds <laughs> and they're all crazy yeah there's this amazing video and it's like uh this trainer walking this walrus through like all the series of sounds it can make and it's like incredibly diverse but one of the yeah. sounds it makes is like that sound that you just made oh god which is interesting because if it is some sort of like aquatic vaguely mammalian thing like it's weird the, i i've had this problem actually the entire time you've been telling me about it you keep referring to it as like a marsupial or connected to marsupials and i'm like i don't think you know what a marsupial is I know what a marsupial is. I know you know what a marsupial is. is. But it's interesting because, like, all the mental images you're painting don't really match up for me with any sort of, like, marsupial or mammalian creature. But I can kind of see the walrus image, actually, because that's something that sort of combines all of these features of, like, 
a vaguely serpentine body that isn't quite, but it's also got like, you know, these mammalian features. It's got kind of like the furry patches. It's got like these tusks. It's got, it doesn't really fit in maybe like deformed horse head. I don't know. That seems like a sort of walrin feature to me. Yeah, um, yeah that's an interesting visual image, actually. Isn't it? I'm, I swear this is not just me trying to bring Justin Long back into this. Um, the thing is about it that every source you read about the bunyip kind of points out the fact that this can apply like that there's probably more than one creature being under this label unless it's something that can change shape. Like everyone acknowledges that there are so many different versions of what this thing looks like. Also, I should acknowledge that the, the bunyip does come out of the water and like be in the bush. It just doesn't like to go very right. far from the water. So it tends to stick by the water's edge or in the water itself. And some of the other potential creatures, this is just going to keep adding to this, like, Dr. Moreau-style, like, just spy kids to oh, no. mash up. Um, God lives in heaven because of, he too lives in fear of what he's created. Uh, I still love that that's a quote from Spy Kids. Oh, I love it. Steve Buscemi says that in a Spy Kids movie. But anyway, what I was going to say is some of the other possible... Uh, Explanations for the Bunyip Lake Monster, as this uh, one site here, as the Paranormal Encyclopedia calls it, is the Dayarchu, also called the Irish Crocodile, a known aquatic man-eater. I don't know why it's the Irish Crocodile in Australia. Oh, here's, you'll like this one, a giant otter. Oh, I do love that. <laughs> a friend. A friend. The Bunyip is shaped like a friend. And then these are such cop-outs when they're like an undiscovered aquatic marsupial. An undiscovered variety of freshwater seal. Like, those are, that's a cop-out. They're like, well, it could be a thing we don't know about. It's just yeah. a huge platypus. It's just a very large aquatic marsupial with oh. a duck bill. Wait, that would make sense. But uh, also it's got... Claws, too. Claws, too. It, it's got the claws. Yeah. But also tusks. Okay, it's a huge platypus. It's a huge platypus with tusks. I like that mental... I like that image. I like that. I like that. Um, even though today most Australians consider the bunyip to be mythical, they have not dismissed its lore. In fact, the National Library of Australia sponsors a traveling exhibition on bunyips, and several folktales appear on the government's website. In addition, a set of four postage stamps has been issued with different versions of its likeness to commemorate the legendary bunyip. <laughs> um, I was, well, this is relevant. I was going to go into survival tips and stuff later, but like many of our cryptos, the biggest survival tip for this guy is don't. Just don't. Um, but the thing is that although legendary bunyip sightings have emanated from throughout Australia, 19th century occurrences centered especially on Lake George and Lake Bathurst. Later reports described the once carnivorous monster as a harmless grazing herbivore. Like a manatee. Like a manatee. So probably this one was a manatee. <laughs> I'm... This is our most confusing cryptid. I like him a lot. It's very puzzling. I don't even think it's a cryptid. I think, again, I I think that we're talking about a bunch of different cryptids. Is it possible that the bunyip is every cryptid ever? That they are all one? The bunyip is like the Odin Allfather of cryptids. It's just like (laughs) the cryptid Allfather. So now I'm picturing... (laughs) What have you got? Um, Okay, this is like a very complicated mental image, so I'm going to try to walk you through it. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was talking earlier about how, like, the walrus hits a lot of these points, right? Of, like, the bunyip appearance in general. Yeah. And then I remembered that, like, one of the appearance notes was, like, a, a strange bearded man. And the walrus also works for that because, like, if you've seen that that picture where it's, like, the walrus in the water and then it compares it to a picture of Jamie from Mythbusters, <laughs> they look very similar. Um, so I'm picturing, like, a vaguely sort of walrus head, but, like, with uh, the... Anthony Hopkins' facial hair of of Odin in the Thor movies <laughs> and, like, an eye patch. I love that. I think that's my image of, of the Bunyip Allfather. 
I like that. The bunyip all fall. Also, also, it's got horse legs. He's a good boy. It's got horse legs too. I, um, I found a book called The Monster Hunter's Survival Guide. I think it might be a fictional book. I can't tell if it's a fictional book. I need a second to see if I should use this as a source or not. It was just referring to potential ways. I do like some of the suggestions for how to deal with a bunyip, though, in this. It says, um, to, uh, it says use a large caliber gun or an elephant gun. Good lord! <laughs> if you need to kill a bunyip, use an elephant Carry gun. an elephant gun. <laughs> okay, you laugh, but if you're in the Australian outback, that might not be a bad idea. Oh, no, I mean, I'm just laughing because it seems fairly tame compared to everything else you need to have with you in Australia already. <laughs> oh, true. You need your anti-poison pants and you need your... I don't know what survival gear is. I Thank like goodness we have our anti-sea rhinoceros undergarments. <laughs> oh, you gotta draw a circle around you so oh. the sea bear... New idea. The bunyip is just the sea bear. <laughs> it's the sea bear. Ah! The bunyip is literally the sea bear. It's literally the sea bear. So my biggest survival tips for you are actually... Beyond going beyond don't, like the survival tips I would provide for the bunyip are probably just survival tips you would need to adhere to anyway in order to make it out of Australia alive. So a hunting knife, elephant gun, all the stuff you need if you're going in the outback. And then also I would say pretty good advice, avoid standing water. Don't go in swamps. Avoid like river, like not rivers, avoid swamps, avoid like watering holes, avoid billabongs, whatever those are that are, and the surfing. You know what? Honestly, avoid the surfing store too. It just smells like sunscreen. Um, I like how you specifically use the phrase, make it out of Australia alive. Like Australia is some sort of challenge level that everyone, like you just sort of wake up in Australia, like you respawn in Australia and you have to figure your way out of it. It's like nobody has ever been born in Australia. Everybody who lives there just sort of remembers waking up there one day and they have to try to find their memories of their past life before they became Australian. Yeah. Yeah. You say that like that's not exactly what I believe about the country of Australia. Which gives further credence to my Ring of Monsters idea. Like, But then the question is, who put them there? Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. <laughs> it's my kids too. Um, Do you think Steve Buscemi stays out of Australia because he too lives in fear of what he's created? <laughs> I think that Steve Buscemi stays out of Australia because he knows that the nation would be devastated if it lost him. I I really need to specify what I was going to say before it got really strange and Truman showy a little bit um in there I was gonna say <laughs> it got very Black Mirror actually that's a Black Mirror episode pitch nobody steal it starring Steve Buscemi water. and Justin Long yeah. I was going to say avoid standing water not just because of bunyips although that's apparently a big deal but because I'm fairly certain mosquitoes in Australia are probably the size of my fist Probably. So, also, they're just decked out with yeah. hidden cameras oh to keep God. track on you as you traverse yeah. through the Australian challenge. Okay. And they also probably have super malaria. I don't know what super malaria does differently, but I'm sure they have super malaria. It turns you into a mosquito. <laughs> I've never been to Australia, in case you can't tell. <laughs> like Jeff Goldblum in The Fly. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. I was going to point out that I love Jeff Goldblum, too, but I feel like at this point, anybody listening to this podcast can just assume that if some B-list actor is brought up, that I have a shrine to them. How dare you say Jeff Goldblum is B-list? He's a national treasure. He is a national treasure. He's legendary. Thank you. 
he is the bunyip. Oh, he's not on my B list. Oh, good. On your bunyip list? On your bunyip list. Get out. Oh, God. Now, get to... out of my home. Someone has to stop me. So really quickly, I want to do a quick coverage of the bunyip in popular culture because... Um, also, I'm going to post some of what I can only describe as bunyip fan art on our Twitter when I release this because some of these boys are so strange. One of them just looks like um, a bit like an elephant seal, which I will also buy that it's an elephant seal. I, be- I believe that. That falls into our, our idea of like the the whole walrus manatee thing. Mm-hmm. But one of them, I'm going to show it to you after we stop recording because I can't show it to you right now, but you, I'll tweet it out. And it's something I can only describe as like a tube monster with spaghetti arms and a face like those like plants um like a bell sprout a face like a bell sprout in pokemon i'll show it to you in a minute it's a tube monster with spaghetti arms and a bell sprout face but um i wish everyone could hear the face i'm making at you right now <laughs> she's horrified alex is distressed so the bunyip in popular culture i think you'll like this um so i think you'll i think you'll enjoy some of the information i have to share about the bunyip in popular culture of australia today so <laughs> Numerous tales of the bunyip in written literature appeared in the 19th and early 20th centuries. There's a story in Andrew Lang's The Brown Fairy Book. Uh, it appeared in a book called The Monster That Ate Canberra, <laughs> which is great. It went on Alexander Bunyip, a, cre- a character created by children's author and illustrator Michael Salmon, appeared in that story and also in many other books and a live-action television series, Alexander Bunyip's Billabong. Excuse me? The stat- a statue of Alexander was opened in front of the Gungolin Library in 2011. The artwork by Anne Ross, called A is for Alexander, B is for Bunyip, C is for Canberra, was commissioned by the ACT government for Gungolin's uh, $3.8 million town park. Australian tourism boom of the 1970s brought a renewed interest in bunyip mythology, including a coin-operated bunyip built at Murray Bridge. What does it do when you put coins in? (laughs) I wish it could. It eats your children. Do you ride it? Does it attack you? (laughs) 1973, a children's picture book, The Bunyip of Berkeley's Creek. The film Dot and the Kangaroo contains a song called The Bunyip. And another children's picture book, The Ballad of the Blue Lake Bunyip. And Australian children's author Jackie French pens a handful of Bunyip tales, including the short story Bunyip's Gift in the anthology Mind's Eye. The Bunyip's Gift, I assume, is dismemberment. Uh... There's more, there's more. Bunyip's gift sounds like a Hallmark movie, like a Hallmark <laughs> Christmas movie. Like like a woman goes back home to the outback for Christmas because her marriage has just fallen apart and she meets a tall, dark, and mysterious Bunyip with a checkered past and she it's finds out idea. his secret and they fall in love. <laughs> it's really good. Steve Buscemi as the Bunyip. Oh my God, see the Lifetime remake of it. Uh, the Bunyip is my stalker. This is... Finally, bringing me back to the thing that got you excited at the beginning of this conversation, let's talk about the Taylor Poe and the Bunyip. The Taylor Poe! In lieu of a rating, I want to discuss Taylor Poe and the Bunyip. So, Taylor Poe has how many children's books about it? Uh, I think, well, actually just the one. The one is very notable, but yes. there's, yeah. You, you see where I'm going here. The Bunyip has about... I, by my count, at least seven. Yeah, because there were at least seven different kinds of ways to look at the bunyip. Well, here is my question for you. In lieu of a rating for this episode, mm-hmm. so, uh, I will pit two, these two critters against each other in the cryptid dome. Um, oh, <laughs> and, oh, boy. In the cryptid dome. So here's your context. Mm-hmm. The Taylor Poe has wandered too close to the water's oh, edge. Oh, no. 
<laughs> the tail of it was wandered too close to the water's edge. The bunyip has snapped off its tail with its big oh, <laughs> meaty no, jaws. Shouldn't do that. So, it's, <laughs> let me finish. Let me finish. All right, go for it. Uh, so, the bunyip in this situation, let's say, is capable of, in fact, shape-shifting between numerous forms. Okay. The bunyip versus the taily po. The bunyip, is, it's angry, it's it's hungry, it's hangry. It is, the taily po has entered its domain, and the taily po has just lost its tail. So, how's this battle go down? Who comes out on top? And I want you to please try to throw out your bias, your taily po bias. Do you want, like, a play-by-play, or you just want, like, an overall out? I want an overall summary like outcome. Yeah, give me a highlights reel. Um, okay, well, here's the... Give me the sports center highlights. Right. So, uh, first of all, if you remember back to, like, one of the earliest plays of this this uh, this face-off, Tailypo's not going to go in the water. It's smarter than that, right? So, like, the Tailypo's had its tail snatched off, whatever. It wandered too close. I, I can believe that. It's, like, a curious little fella. Um, and it got its tail snapped right up. Maybe it was, like, playing with its reflection in the water's edge. It was, like, a really cute mental image. I love the Tailypo so much. Um, but, like, it, this... Bunyip snaps his tail right off, and Tailypo's, like, angry, but, like, skitters back from the water's edge, maybe, like, trying to draw this guy out. Um, Bunyip maybe comes after it. I'm not sure what form the Bunyip is in at this point, but I think that pretty much any advantage the Bunyip would have in terms of, like, just sheer body horror, the Tailypo can counteract because it's smaller and faster. I think the Tailypo has, like, the agility advantage there, and I think maybe it's one of those things where, you know, like, it doesn't necessarily have to, like, physically beat the Bunyip, but in an endurance contest, I would definitely pick the Tailypo. Mm. And I think the Tailypo would be a clever enough fighter yes. that it would uh, take down the Bunyip, no problem. Because, I mean, you have to remember in the Tailypo legend, this guy sent, like, three trained hunting dogs after it and just kept dispatching them one by one. I think the Tailypo's style is definitely to, like, get little hits and just keep going, because the Tailypo will, like keep going forever like because it's it's on a vengeance mission right it's a vengeance mm-hmm. cryptid which means it's not gonna stop until it's done it has like nothing left to lose and that's the most terrifying kind of fighter there is yeah that took on like a serious tone turn i was just gonna say um i do have to posit you this one question when the taily post scratches open the bunyip to get its tail back will the bunyip not in fact probably through its shape-shifting magic regenerate like the, in a terminator movie just like seal the wound shut I don't think that's how shape-shifting works. If it can change its shape, why can't it change shape to a cryptid that's not injured? Um, because maybe, like, you have to take into consideration that, like, it... Um, okay, consider that maybe only, like, tissue that is unmarred on the bunyip can, like, be regenerated. Yeah, but now you're making up rules that we don't know. Well, it's like, I think it's... Shape-shifting is, like, reassembly of matter, right? Matter right. can't be created or destroyed. It's that's reassembling true. itself. And so if you have, like, a large gash or, like, if there is material missing because the mm. tailypo, like cut out a chunk of your flesh or something. I don't know. This is getting weird. But I don't think the bunyip can, like, regenerate. Right. Because then any shape-shifting creature would just be able to do that, right? That's like, true, in true. any, like, werewolf thing I've seen, basically, if there is some injury that you take on while you're in wolf form, it doesn't get fixed when you go back to human form. Oh, true. You're so, oh, you're so right. Oz has his same injuries when he's a werewolf and a human boy. So there it is. You're right. Taily Poe. Taily Poe would come out on top. Honestly, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us, uh, the Bunyip. For the Bunyip, I think we're going to head on out from the land down under. And I hate that. I actually have a better Australian accent. I don't know why I'm doing that one. Um, So I'm just going to take us home. Do you have any announcements for us? I do, actually. I have several. So our first one is um, sort of a... uh, 
a call to action here, a bit of a plea. So if, first of all, if you're not on our Facebook group, you should really come join us. It's a really fun time, actually. And I have been so thrilled and delighted by everything everybody's been posting in there. It's been a lot of really fun conversation. Yeah. It's been awesome for Addison and I to get to like know the people that are listening to our podcast, right? Yes. And what's the name of our Facebook group so that they can join? Um, the Facebook group is called the Cryptid Keeper Appreciation Group. And if you, you can just ask to join and one of us will add you. Um, it's a great way to like chat with us directly, let us know what you're feeling, but also like meet some really, really cool people in this group. I think that I speak for both of us when I say that like we definitely have some cool, awesome new friends in here. It's such a fun, positive space. So out of this group came this thing that you're about to tell us. Right, yeah. So one of our listeners, Gracie, um, Gracie posted here telling us about something called the Milwaukee Paranormal Conference, which sounds amazing. It's a um, yearly event. I'm just reading Gracie's words. Um, I am just going to read the post here. Paracon is a yearly event inaugurated in 2015 that hosts panels, speakers, and workshops about ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and other paranormal phenomena. The presenters they showcase are amazing representatives of their fields. Um, there are lectures, there are presentations on ghostly gadgets, there's like writers, artists, investigators, podcasters, there's a film festival, there's a masked ball, there's a ghost story slam. I don't know what that is, but it sounds legit. And the problem is that some of this conference's funding got pulled, and they are now at a deficit, and they have to try to make up that money before they can even try to get back onto their sort of next iteration. So they're trying desperately to gain back the funds they needed. Um, They have a GoFundMe. You can buy merch from them. We will be tweeting out the link to this page so you can help support them, even if you only have a couple dollars. Um, I really think it would go a long way towards what sounds like a really amazing cause. It's only two years running, I think, um, but they're really trying to keep it going. It's been an awesome sort of experience for all the people that have gone. We hear some great stuff about it, and I really think that this is something that's probably close to the heart of everybody listening to this show. It's something that there's definitely not enough of in the world, and I think we should try to support it where it is. Yeah, also, uh, just a couple of dollars, or um, if you want to send them a couple of doll hairs just in a, in a crate. Don't do that. Please don't send them doll hairs. Please don't send them your doll hairs. Uh, but you can buy merch. I mean, like, you can never have enough stuff with cryptids on it, right? So you can, like, get something, some bang for your buck. You can just donate, like, 50 cents. I don't know. If we get enough people to do that, then it would be enough. Strength in numbers, right? Um, but yeah, please, please, please check that out. And yes. even if you can't do anything yourself financially, um, maybe just share it around so more people will see it. I think that's a great cause, and I think that we should definitely do what we can to help keep that alive. Exactly. Now, uh, do you have any other announcements for us? I do. I always have so much to talk about at the end of these episodes. <laughs> it's okay. It's just uh, we're cleaning house. Yeah, so a couple more things. Um, our Patreon is still running. We have, I think, like 15 sponsors right now, which is amazing. Actually, uh, I have new donors to thank when you get to Excuse it. me. Anyway, we have a lot of patrons, which is amazing. And um, you still have until the end of the month to get in on our first cycle, which means you would get in on our first set of rewards. It would be mailing out first of the month. So if you join us as a Patreon patron between now and uh, whatever the last day of April is, <laughs> there are 30 days in April. Yes, uh, 30 days after September, April, June, and Yeah, okay, so if you get in by April 30th, you'll get in on our first Patreon cycle, and you will get all of the sweet swag that comes with being on our May Patreon. Um, there's going to be secret stickers. There's one design in particular I'm really excited about. 
There's going to be um, artwork, depending on the tier that you sign up at. You're going to get yes. some free audio, free secret audios from Addison and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be bonus episodes. I know that we have a really cool follow-up episode we're trying to do about the Beast of Bray Road because some of our listeners um, actually went and tracked it down. I think mm-hmm. Gracie was one of them and Alex Lovendahl as well. Um, they went and actually like visited the Beast of Bray Road stomp- stomping grounds, and we want to do a follow-up episode with them about mm-hmm. that because that sounds amazing. And if you donate, you get a thank you on our Twitter. A thank um, you on our Twitter? You might, if you donate at the lowest tier. Yeah, yeah, we might talk about you here on the episode. Um, and then speaking of giveaways, we did make it above 20 reviews on iTunes since our last one. So our next sticker winner is D Break. That's Sea Witchery on Twitter. So thanks so much, D. We'll be sending in your stickers. Thank you. As soon as our Patreon kicks off and we have stickers to send. Also, yeah, we're going to need you to not to be creepy, but you got to DM us your address so we know where to send. Yeah, so slide into our DMs. We'll hook you up with some stickers. It's going to yeah. be sweet. Oh, and I have some new donors to thank since our last episode, since the last time I thanked Patreon donors. We have two new patrons at the level that brings me on the show to thank them personally by name and so I want to give a quick thank you to Alex no not my co-host Alex but donor Alex I already thanked you on Twitter you know who you are so again on here thank you so much and then also to another brand new patron to Adam Kennedy thank you so much your generosity means the world and we can't wait to start putting the money you're sending us to good use and like making as much cool stuff for you guys as we can. And the fact that people care about this show to send us anything at all is so crazy town, banana pants, amazing, awesome. I'm not going to cry, but I'm going to think about it. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, Thank you very, very much. So thank you all for your outpouring of support. It's really been excellent. Um, We have some really cool episodes coming up for you. There is going to be a very special guest on our podcast slated for May, and I can't tell you anything more about it yet, but we're very excited. I already know it's going to be my favorite episode to date, for one thing, because it covers my very favorite cryptid, but also because we're going to have just like some super, super cool content for you guys on it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're going to have a guest next week as well, talking about um, my next cryptid. And yeah, do we have any other special guests coming up? Um, I don't know for sure yet. So uh, how about just uh, watch our Twitter space, watch our social media, and we'll keep you posted. Oh, as always, our music is by Andrew Giada. We are on Facebook at The Cryptic Keeper, and we are on Twitter at CryptKeepPod. That's C-R-Y-P-K-E-E-P-P-O-D. And again, reminder, Facebook group, The Cryptid Keeper Appreciation Group. Just request to join. One of our mods will add you. It's a really fun, cool little space. So keep listening, keep paying attention, keep watching the skies and the cloud and mostly Twitter. The unlie is somewhere in the, the distance. The unlie is somewhere in the distance. Uh, we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there. <laughs>